the Bible is about what happened to Jesus. The Old Testament looking forward to that, and of course the New Testament looking back to that. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 15th episode of Working with the Word. We hope everyone has had a happy holiday season and that your new year is starting off well and that you are spending time with God through His Word and speaking to Him in prayer every day. We're looking forward to the new year here at Working with the Word. Lord willing, we will be getting back into more inductive study-related material later this year as we'll dive into one of the minor prophets and have a few episodes devoted to specific questions we can use to guide us in our times of study. Plus, we have plans for more interviews with people who we know will encourage and help us to grow in our faith. But for now, we want to zoom out, way out, and begin the year in these first few episodes by thinking about the whole story. Back in the beginning of November, we started to talk about where we're going to go in 2021. And I don't remember exactly how we landed on this subject of the whole story, but here we are. There was a lot of, in our planning sessions, kind of thoughts about what does this look like and and why are we going here, some discussions about that. But we've landed on this topic of the whole story. Maybe you've heard similar phrases with the big picture. Emerson, talk to us about the whole story and kind of this introduction to what we're thinking about with this whole story series. Yeah, I think one of the reasons we kind of landed on this was it's easy to get lost in the forest, right? And it's it's helpful sometimes to zoom out and see the big picture of the forest instead of just focusing on the trees. I like to use this example of of a puzzle. And for since we're talking about the Bible, the Bible has 1,189 chapters in it. So imagine that I'm giving you a puzzle that has that many pieces in it. And I'm just dumping them on the table and in front of you. And I give you no idea of how to put these pieces together. Uh, I don't give you a picture of the final product, what it's going to look like. Could you put the puzzle together? Certainly you could if you're an expert puzzle builder. But a lot of times I think we have a difficulty understanding the big picture of or the whole story of the Bible. A lot of times when we read it, it's like we're staring at a pile of puzzle pieces wondering how they go together. Or whenever we read one chapter of the Bible, we're holding one piece of, you know, that solid color blue that, you know, it could go anywhere in the sky. And we're wondering where exactly does this go? So that's kind of what we want to deal with in this series is trying to figure out how these pieces go together. An example of this is one time I was sitting in a Bible class on Genesis, and in the section of Genesis 38, we're reading and studying that. That's the chapter where Judah and Tamar, you have that story of how he commits incest with his daughter-in-law. And someone asked this question, why is this story in the Bible? And I think that is a great question (laughs) because it probes for a reason why we're told this. You know, anytime you're reading something, you don't understand why it's here. Why is it here at this location? Always ask, why does God want me to know this? And so, you know, thinking about that story of Judah and Tamar, why are we being told about their relationship? Well, in in the immediate context, I think it serves as a contrast between his younger brother, Joseph, in Genesis 39. You might remember how Potiphar's wife wanted him to lie with her. And you see a 
contrast, you know, Judah sees a, a harlot in the beginning of chapter 38, and he goes and he, and he lies with her. And then he, later on, he's sleeping with Tamar, unbeknownst to him that this is his daughter-in-law. So there's certainly a moral lesson we can take from that story. But if you back up and you look at the bigger picture of the whole Bible story, the relationship between Judah and Tamar shows the story of Jesus's lineage. And that's why we're told of this story, because it shows where Jesus's family came from, where they had been, the kind of things that they were involved in. Jesus was born of this relationship. At the end of Genesis 38, we're told that Judah and Tamar together had two twin boys. One of them was named Perez, and the rest of the Bible follows that genealogy from Perez all the way to to Jesus. So that's kind of an illustration of how, you know, asking the question, where does this fit into the whole story, will help us. I think Jesus is the key to understanding the whole story. We've referenced this verse a couple times already in this podcast. Luke 24, in verse 44 Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. I think that this conversation Jesus has with his disciples after his death and resurrection is really the key to bringing the whole story together. So a couple things to notice here. Jesus tells his disciples that all the things that are written about him had to be fulfilled. So the Bible is about what happened to Jesus. The Old Testament looking forward to that, and of course the New Testament looking back to that. And then understanding that it's all about Jesus and that he had to, that he was the Christ, that he had to suffer, that he rose again, and that forgiveness of sins is now proclaimed, that is really what opens our minds to understand the scripture. So kind of approaching this from a big picture, a whole story standpoint, the whole story is about Jesus and our need for him. Absolutely. And that's what this series is going to be about, considering the different genres and sections within the whole story as a way to consider scripture from that higher altitude. Back in earlier episodes, we've talked about maybe when we're doing observation, we use the three levels of observation, a flyover, ground level, and digging deeper. We've thought all about all of that within Earth's atmosphere. You know, you're flying over a particular book or one particular book, or maybe if it's a really long book, maybe a couple of larger sections of that one book. And then you get down to that ground level where you're maybe investigating a chapter and then digging deeper as you get even deeper in that chapter. What we want to do with this whole story series is go all the way out outside of Earth's atmosphere into space itself to continue with that analogy. Really in this episode, we're trying to think about as if we were viewing Earth from the Hubble telescope. And really, it's not just Earth. We're looking at everything that we can see in space, at least from that particular piece of technology. Then eventually, as we get into more of these specific genres and more of these you know, different sections of scriptures, maybe like the law or poetry or the gospels or epistles and di- discerning how we approach those differently, then I might be thinking more about we're at like the International Space Station. We can still see all of Earth, but we're not really within that focus on one particular book. It's more like, okay, I see this distinct ocean, and I just see this distinct continent or piece of land. We're still looking at kind of some of that bigger picture stuff. 
So we want to think about how understanding the whole story will help us in our Bible study. So thinking about that question, what is the whole story? We think that about that phrase story, sometimes we think about that's once upon a time, or you think about the beginning of a, a movie or a series of movies, or you read a book and you're thinking this is a piece of fiction, this is a story that's made up. When we're talking about the story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible, we're not talking about fable or fiction or something that's a fairy tale. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter reminds his audience the fact that what he's telling them is based off of eyewitness real-life testimony, not something that he and Paul and a couple of the other apostles and a few other disciples kind of corroborated together to make up. This is something that was real life. And so as we talk about the whole story, we're emphasizing a series of historical events with a beginning and end that's going to move in a specific direction for God's ultimate purpose. Yeah, and it's that idea of of God working behind the scenes. He's kind of the grand orchestrator behind the whole story. He is the author. He's the writer. Um, And so that's really the idea we're focusing on. What is God uh, accomplishing through this story? Every story that you read or, you know, you mentioned a movie, if you're sitting down to watch a movie, this is true. Every story has four elements. You've got an introduction of characters or a development of characters. You've got a conflict that arises between those characters. You've got a climax that arises and kind of the climax is the moment where it seems like all is lost and then finally you have the conclusion or the resolution to that story. And the Bible is is no different when you look at it from a whole standpoint. So just breaking down the whole story into those four C words, characters, conflict, climax, and conclusion, the Bible opens with the introduction of the characters. In Genesis 1 through 3, we're introduced to God. He creates the heavens and the earth. We learn about his creation being good because he himself is good. He is generous. He is a relational God. He says, let us make man or mankind in our image, and he gives them his law. So we learn a lot about God. He's kind of the hero of the whole story, but we also learn about mankind. He is made in God's image, both male and female, and they're made to reflect his glory. They're made to rule over his creation in a way that honors God. And then in Genesis 3, we're introduced to another character who is just called the serpent. And he appears in this form. He tempts Eve to take this fruit that she is told not to. And he slanders God. He points to God and says, basically, Eve, God is keeping something from you that you really want. And so the rest of the Bible really unfolds the the, the conflict between these characters. And so In Genesis 3 to the rest of the Old Testament, really, you see that unfolding of the conflict. The conflict arises because people who God made rebelled against God. And from that point, from the garden, after Adam and Eve ate that fruit, sin just increases in depth and scope. You have Cain killing Abel. You have the whole earth becoming so wicked that God decides to destroy it all and save Noah and his family alone. And so sin increases, bringing death and disruption to the world God created. And the main question of the Bible is this, what is God going to do about it? You know, you have these movies or books that are real page turners, or like you have a series that you just you just cannot wait for that next episode to come out. The reason why is because you're always asking, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. And the Bible is the same way. The question is, what is God going to do about this? 
you see that God curses what he first blessed. He destroys and he brings judgment, but he always preserves the world through the faithful, like Noah, Abraham, and David. And he always keeps dropping these ambiguous hints of a coming person in the future, a seed, a king, a savior, a servant. So that's the conflict. And ultimately, it leads to that climax, which I see in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in the Gospels, it's really the high point of the story. You have Jesus arriving on the scene as this obscure person from Nazareth. And he comes into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, and he begins to read from Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and so on and so forth in that passage. He rolls up the scroll and he sits down and everyone is looking at him. And it's almost like you could hear a pin drop. And then he drops the bomb. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is basically saying is, I am the one that God has been promising would come to fix all of this problem of sin. And then Jesus is crucified, the Savior, the coming Messiah. He is rejected by his own people. And it's a very unexpected kind of moment of climax to the story. It seems like God's plan is foiled. God's will is defeated. The disciples who follow Jesus certainly thought so. They scattered at this moment. And then three days after his crucifixion, Jesus's tomb is found empty. And Jesus even appears to his followers. He eats with them. He talks with them. They touch his very body. The Messiah lives. And so this series of of events is what the Apostle Paul calls the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the climax to the story. And then You have the conclusion to the story in the book of Acts through Revelation, where the disciples take this message of Jesus, the Messiah has come to save us. They take it to the world and they testify as eyewitnesses and they tell people, this is what you need to do to respond to the gospel. You need to listen to Jesus. In Acts 2, you have the first group of Jesus's followers. They are baptized. They start worshiping together as the church, as it's called. You have the letters talking to the disciples how they are to live and persevere as his followers. And then at the very end of the Bible, you've got the book of Revelation, which shows the disciples are now victorious. And interestingly, Revelation takes us full circle back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Because in Revelation 12, the serpent appears as a dragon. And he is specifically called the devil and the, and Satan. And here in Revelation, he is defeated. God's people are victorious over him. So you've got the grand story from beginning to end. God is victorious over sin, the problem that we created for ourselves. And he gives that victory to us as well. Of course, you know, there's a lot of other ways to summarize the whole story too, but this is just one way to, to think about it. What are some other ways you can think of that kind of summarize what the whole story is about? Well, thinking along with the idea of the four C's, or I guess maybe just a similar idea to the four C's that really help us to see the whole picture. When I was in SFA in Nacogdoches and I was attending the Stallings Drive Church, Brother Randy Harshbarger would regularly pop quiz us in the college class. Something we just loved as college kids was to get (laughs) pop quiz about random things from the Bible. And one of his regular questions was always relating to what I 
called, or what I remember as the four twos. It seemed like pretty much any time Acts chapter 2 was mentioned, he would say something like, remember, with Acts 2, you got to think about Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, and Joel 2, how they all culminate in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And just kind of, at the time, thought about, well, what does that mean? What's What's the point of repeating this over and over again, and what am I supposed to see in those particular chapters? And so, something I brought up in our discussions for preparing in this episode, and Emerson, I liked how you really helped us to to kind of clarify that. Emerson seems to do a great job about coming up with titles and helping us <laughs> to remember sections with you know similar words and phrases. So when you think about Isaiah chapter 2, some of the content of that chapter talks about the coming church. In Daniel chapter 2, we have the coming kingdom. In Joel chapter 2, we have the coming spirit. And all three of those are fulfilled on the day of Pentecost as we have the church, the kingdom, the spirit all arriving in that particular moment. I think that's a simple explanation to see how these passages all connect and tell part of the whole story. Now, granted, there's a lot of other things that aren't discussed in the four twos. You're not getting the whole picture, but having those descriptions about that, thinking about those, how Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2 culminate in Acts 2, helps me to see there's something going on behind the scenes here. Now, the fact that all of these passages come from the second chapter of their books is most likely coincidental, considering that chapter numbers were not added until a long time after these books were written. However, the content that connects, showing us that three different prophets from different times can talk about major events in God's plan and how they're fulfilled at the same moment, we do not believe this to be coincidental, but rather we believe it to show us that God is the author of the whole story and that God has a plan. So here's what we really want to get to today, the question of how will the whole story and knowing the whole story help us in our Bible study? So what we want to do at this time is read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 23. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with us there, uh, or you can just listen as we read from that text, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And as we read, I'm going to bring and draw out some phrases that are going to show us from this chapter in Ephesians that God had a plan from the beginning, even before the beginning, if we think about the timing of it all, to reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 23. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Listen to this phrase in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, as we look at that section or as we look at that chapter, we're not really going to spend time now to dive into all the things that, that chapter talks about. But as you listen to that, hopefully you heard some of those phrases. As you look at that chapter now and maybe go back to it, notice those phrases that talk about God has a plan, as he's working his will. Love that phrase, that even before the foundation, or this idea before time began, God knew what he was going to accomplish with you and with me, really what he was going to accomplish through his son, when the plan that he had for you and me and how he would save us from our sins. So some ways that we can think about this going forward and seeing that the whole story helps us to see that God has a plan, that everything is in line and that is going to be fulfilled as we are reconciled to his son and what he has purposed for him to do. Yeah, another word that stands out in that Ephesians reading is the word purpose in addition to plan. You know, when, when God purposed something, he had the end laid out from the beginning. He knew what he was going to accomplish in the end. And so everything that has happened before that end is really working to accomplish that end. So wrapping this up, how will the whole story help us? Think of questions that you might ask when you're reading your Bible that will help bring it into the big picture. So as you're reading your Bible reading or as you're listening to a sermon, ask yourself, what does this have to do with Jesus? And how does it show me my need for salvation through him? Or maybe ask it this way, how does this passage relate to God's plan to bring Jesus into the world? How does it point to Jesus in some way? How does it point to God's purpose in Jesus? What connections are there to Jesus's cross or his resurrection or his ascension? As we saw in Ephesians 1, that that's what God's plan was about, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. And Finally, how do I live in a way that honors that gospel, that good news about Jesus Christ? So what we want you to do as a challenge for this week is consider your most recent Bible reading text or sermon text and ask yourself, how does this fit into the whole story of the Bible? And why does God want me to know about this? Whatever it was, think about that text. Maybe if you're reading here in the beginning of the year, you're somewhere in Genesis. How is this helping me understand the whole story. Maybe as you at the beginning of the year were hearing a sermon about some new series your church is doing, how does this help me to understand the whole story? Think about that as we challenge ourselves this week. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. 
Again, we are looking forward to this new year, especially as we are kicking off thinking about the whole story. Next week, we'll enter the Earth's atmosphere, to say, as we think about the big picture from the International Space Station and concerning more specific sections and genre of scripture that are going to help us fill in our puzzle pieces. Until then, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible that you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or you can send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.